So I have a question for you. I, I, I kind of get into statistics a little bit. I hate the math part of it. I don't do the math part of it. But I like trends. I like examining trends. And how many of you, this is not rhetorical, I really want to find out, how many of you are doing what you dreamed of doing when you were 10 years old? Raise your hand. You beat first service by two, and four people are raising their hands. Okay, how many of you went away to some kind of school, to some kind of training? By the way, congratulations on you people that are doing what you dreamed of doing. Um, How many of you people out there went to some kind of formal training and you paid for it, uh, some technical school, some college? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Now, how many of you are doing, because here's the deal, is that the statistics say that you not only have multiple job changes from what you planned on doing, but you have career, 3.5 career changes by the time you retire. So I don't know what you were planning, but let's just see how this worked out in here. So what you went to school for, if you are doing that, living the dream, raise your hand. If you are not doing what you went to school or some training technical school for currently, raise your hand. Wow. So fascinating between first and second service. How do you all feel now? Do you feel better than you felt like five minutes ago about where you are in life? It wasn't meant to be that kind of a thing. Um, It was so funny because first service, the two people that raised their hands were a fireman and a pilot. That when they were 10 years of age, they're doing now what they they dreamed of doing. Um, And uh, go figure. Any of you want to be the president of the United States when you were a kid? I asked first service, there were no takers. Most unpopular job out there. All right? People want to be sanitation workers before they want to be president of the United States. It's an incredible thing. So today's sermon is called Best Laid Plans. Great idea, great opportunity out of the book of Daniel because all of you have a plan. All of you have a plan. And, and some of you are like, well, I don't have a big plan. That's okay. You've got some kind of idea of what you want to do. Uh, I had a plan for what I was going to use for an illustration. That went right out the window. Yesterday... I, I had this plan. I was driving around, taking care of some errands. And my wife called me as I was driving around. And uh, she asked, are you going to go get your hair cut? And I forgot that was part of my best laid plans for yesterday. And uh, obviously, I, I ended up succeeding and, uh, in her plans for my hair. And uh, so I said, I don't have the coupon. She goes, I'll text it to you. That's brilliant. So she texts me this coupon. I go in, and I'm sitting there. Can I just share with you that when you go to get your hair cut, that is like that opportunity where you hear pastors talk about when they fly the friendly skies. You know what I'm talking about? You've heard, you know, when you, when you walk through that, that, that gangplank, what do they call that, Shelley? The transit? The jetway. Wow, we all learned something today. Thank you for that acumen of friendly air knowledge. As you're walking that jetway, I don't know if it, you know, it, it, it runs through your head, Oh, I hear all these stories about how pastors, when they sit next to somebody on a flight, they get in this deep spiritual conversation. Do you guys, do you guys think about those things when you sit down next to a stranger? I do, and I break out in a cold sweat. 
Because I'm like sitting there thinking, okay, you know, John MacArthur, he always talks to the person next to him. Jesus would talk to the person next to him. You know, all these people. Stephen Morgan would talk to the person next to him about Jesus. Now I, I ha- And so I go through this big calculated thing. All these plans. Can I just tell you that when you get your hair cut, just know that is an incredible opportunity to plan to share your life about Christ. So I'm sitting there in the chair, and this gal, uh, very subpar next to my previous hairdresser, um, who's sitting in the front row, who I'm related to. Um, so I'm sitting in uh, the chair, and I get the question, so, you got big plans this weekend? And I said, well, depends on how the haircut goes. <laughs> and, uh, and so... I said, I'm supposed to clean the garage later today, but uh, I got one of those things where at this place, we had, she, part of the coupon was you get this special treatment. And I don't know what was happening to me, but I think she was using a craftsman tool on my back. But it made me like fall asleep. You know, it was like some kind of a massage thing or something. And it was incredible. And I said, yeah, pretty much cleaning the garage is out now. I had the best laid plans, but now that I'm in such a relaxed state, I'm not going to mess that up by cleaning the garage. So thank you very much. Here's a bigger tip. Um, but I had these plans. And so she's asked me, and then she said, well, what do you plan on doing tomorrow? I'm thinking, nobody's ever asked me that question when I sat down here. And I'm thinking, wow, there's an opportunity here. And so I said, I'm going to preach. And I think she said something like, you're going to eat a peach? And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to preach. I'm a pastor. She didn't know what to do with that. So she's standing there and she's like, you know, and I'm thinking, she's got a very sharp tool. So I'm, I'm hoping she's like, okay with Jesus. And, uh, and so she goes, you're a pastor. What, what church are you at? And so I, I told her what church I was at. And, and then she asked me this question. Well, how'd you end up doing that? And so I got to tell my story. And I realized at the end of that story that, you know, it wasn't my plan to be a pastor was my plan. You know what I wanted to do? Even up to age 21, I wanted to be Jason Bourne. There it is. I'm just telling you, it's a vulnerable moment between me and you. I wanted to be Jason. I wanted to work for the State Department. I was, lear- was going to learn these different languages and I was going to travel all over the world and be a covert spy. That was my plan. That's what I wanted to do. But then I met my wife and I realized that lifestyle, I couldn't have her and, and I gave it all up for, no, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. Uh, but I would, I would, honey, but no, God had other plans. And if I didn't pay attention to the best laid plans that God had marked out for me, then I wouldn't be standing in front of you today. My question for you is, what plan are you following? Because God may have other plans for you. You may not be doing what you thought you were going to do. It's interesting, Nebuchadnezzar quickly found himself in a situation where he wasn't doing what he thought he was going to be doing. Daniel found himself in a position of having to say things he never thought he would have to say. And that's what's so intriguing about this message today. Let me give you a real brief history because we have some people in the room that weren't with us. Daniel 
is part of the, the Jewish nation. Um, he's with Judah. Judah turned their back on God for a long time. Totally disregarded him. And here's the thing you've got to remember about God. God loves you and wants relationship with you. If you're His, you're His people, He will do everything He can to get your attention. And so He sent message upon message upon message. And did they listen? Did they listen? No. No. Jeremiah 25. Look it up if you want to later. Not right now, but Jeremiah 25. Now Jehovah says to him, okay, you haven't been listening. I'm going to get real specific with you. I'm bringing a king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. I'm even going to name him. I'm bringing him from the north. And the things he's going to do to you, you are not going to like. It's not in your strategic plan. Trust me. What happened? Nebuchadnezzar came. Judah fell. And a large group of that people were taken captive. And they did a nice little walkabout all the way back up to Babylon. And now they're captive in that city. Now what happens is Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's a disturbing dream. Understand this about Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon at that time was the center of civilization. It was like Brentwood, California. Babylon was the center of civilization. Their empire stretched all the way down to Egypt. They're bigger than Egypt. Stretched all the way over to what's current day Iran and even touched the tip of of northern Africa. Huge dynasty. And here this king, this great king of this huge dynasty, is distraught. Why is he distraught? He has a dream. And in this dream, there's things that are revealed to him, and it's so disturbing that he gathers all of his wise men, his magicians, his psychics, if you will, and he he says, tell me what the dream is, and then give me the interpretation. And they say to him, what? We studied this last week. It's impossible. What you're asking is impossible. We can't know the dream. Tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. He says, wrong answer, I'm now going to rip you limb from limb. Have a good time. And so he sends out all of his guards and he's now going to do the same thing to Daniel and, and his homeboys because that's Hebrew for friends. I got one laugh. That's it. That's great. I'll never use that joke again. And Daniel has the leadership to step up and say, what's going on? What's going on? It's explained to him, so he gets an audience with the king, and he says to the king, give me just a night, and I'll come back and I'll tell you what the dream is. So he does it. He goes back, he tells his friends to pray, and God reveals the dream, God reveals the interpretation, and where do we pick it up? We pick it up this morning with Daniel explaining all of that to him out of Daniel 2. Let's pick it up, verse 29. And today we're going to move forward. I, you know, last week we did something in common. We went backwards in the story to kind of reveal the power of the end of the story. You all relax, okay? That was uncommon. We're going to go normal this week. So we'll start in verse 29. And this morning, my question to you is, what's your best laid plan? What is your best laid plan according to your life? 29 through 30. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. 
But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So Daniel's standing before him and he says, I got the answer. I figured it out. We're forming a plan. And so what was Nebuchadnezzar's plan? The king's plan was to find immediate answers. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a desperate situation where you needed to know the answer and you needed it now? That's exactly where Nebuchadnezzar was. That's a challenging place to be. And so he's not getting any answers from his guys. And what happens next? God's plan was actually happening. The best laid plan was actually happening in the background. And God interceded for His people and presented Nebuchadnezzar with a dream. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know what's going on with the dream, but it's disturbed him to the level that he's compelled to find out what's going on. You ever been in that position? You don't know what's happening, but you need to know. You need to figure it out. And you go to great lengths to figure it out. Sometimes there's things going on behind the scenes that you never really notice. Nebuchadnezzar had his plans. It was all about his kingdom. But all that came to a screeching halt with one dream. His whole life was changed with one dream. Because of God's plan. God's plan was to reveal the mysteries of the futility of man. What do we mean by this? Well, God gave Nebuchadnezzar disruptive thoughts. You ever had disruptive thoughts? I cannot guarantee you that those are from God. Okay? Those might just be because you decide to be a 49er fan. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a disruptive thought right there. Okay? All right. Hey, it's your team, not mine. Moving on. Disruptive thoughts from God sometimes are His effort to get our attention. Now, the easiest way that I can handle or hand this over to you is think about that relationship whether you were a kid once. Okay, that's a safe bet, right? That you were a kid once. And your parents brought in a very disruptive thought. And it really got your attention. Like, you're grounded. That was a disruptive thought. Why am I grounded? Why am I busted? And parents usually say something really smart like, I can't believe you failed to see the gravity of this situation. Right? I I don't understand that when I'm three. Okay. Disruptive thoughts from God. God gives Nebuchadnezzar disruptive thoughts. Why? He reveals the answer. To Nebuchadnezzar. The revealed answer is from God. We need to take note of this. That the answer did not come through Nebuchadnezzar's plan. What was his plan, by the way? Do you remember? He went to his psychics. He went to his magicians. He went to his Smith Barney financial counselors. He went to his Madame Chloe. He went to his... uh, Whatever asking for advice, and they came up with the big fat what? Zero. Folks, have you ever been on that end of things? Where your life was suddenly changed drastically, and you went to the people who were the experts, and they said, don't have an answer for you. What you will learn from this message today is that God has the answer. And that what's really going on in the background is what's important. We can have our plans, but they're futile. God's plan is what we need to get on board with. 
And as I was asked that question by my uh, subpar hairstylist yesterday, I realized at the end, what an amazing thing to stand here this morning. This was not my plan. This was God's plan. It's a great thing when you're in sync with the best laid plans. Now here's why this happened. Nebuchadnezzar now has a kingdom that reaches from Egypt all the way up to the north, over to Turkey, um, almost up to the Black Sea, all the way over as far as Iran, Pakistan, and all the way south down to the, the, the tip of, of uh, the Persian Gulf. He's the man, as they used to say in cuneiform. Right? And he's the one that conquered Judah. He's the one that conquered the people of Jehovah. Who wouldn't be saying that? That's what it was all about back in those days. God had other plans. And so he gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream that is so disturbing that he has to find the answers. His plan didn't work. But God provides Daniel. And what does Daniel do? Daniel comes through when nobody else could and he says, what? He says, I did it. I pulled it off. Go back and look at it real quickly. Who does Daniel give the credit to? He gives it to God. He says, but as for me, verse 30, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Fascinating stuff that as we look at those who do not subscribe to God, we see them sometimes as the enemy. God himself did not see Nebuchadnezzar necessarily as the enemy. What I heard Daniel say is that God laid this dream in your mind. It's causing you great distress. He cares about relieving that stress. Here's the answer so you can be what? That you may know the thoughts of your mind. You may be given relief. Well, you got my attention, Daniel. And then he gives the dream interpretation. Now God really has Nebuchadnezzar's attention. How do you sway a person that is so unfamiliar with who God is and get them to pay attention? You don't. Daniel knew that. You don't. God does. God does. Here's the dream. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down this very scary image for you. This was a body shot I took in 2005. No. No, this is not me. This is, uh, this is a picture and an illustration of the dream. You're going to hear it in a minute. I'm going to break it down for you so that as you hear it out of the Scriptures, you can kind of get this visual of it. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this statue that's facing him. And the head, the head is a head of gold and it represents his kingdom. Now the most important part of the body that all of us would look and say that that's where everything starts is the head when we talk to people we're looking we're engaging we're speaking we're listening we're looking the senses are located here other than touch and so the head is given the supreme importance in this dream god has stated that it starts with babylon it starts with nebuchadnezzar and he gives him the finest representation with gold everything that is to follow is a lesser uh, uh commodity 
or lesser valued gem, however you want to state it. So he starts with the head being Babylon, and it's made of gold. The chest and arms, they're of silver. And this is the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. Who are the Medes and Persians? King Cyrus, some of you moviegoers, uh, you know, the, the whole thing with 300 and the battle at Nike, all that. That's King Cyrus. That's the Medes and Persians. Now, the next thing that happens, the belly and thighs of bronze. This is the kingdom of Greece, ancient Greece, Alexander the Great, right? And Greece comes in and they take over. One, to- one, thing at- one kingdom after another falls to the next kingdom. You're seeing the pattern. By the way, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. Next, legs of iron. Who took over Greece? Rome did. Rome overtook Greece. And they're represented by the legs of iron. And then the feet of iron and clay. This is the kingdom of restored Rome. Or where we are now. Whatever that looks like. Now, if you told individuals during biblical times who were underneath Roman uh, oppression or suppression that Rome would fall in 400 some odd years, they would have laughed at you. Maybe not so much. You know why? Because they saw the history of Greece fall. And before Greece, they knew the history of the Medes and Persians falling. Before that, they knew the history of the Babylonians falling. But yet Rome was so strong that if you study some of the things uh, like the Barcopa revolt and, and, and elements of that with the Jews, anybody who, who raised their hand against Rome was crushed. When you think about the words that you're going to hear out of Scripture here in a minute, it makes sense. The last thing that you hear about is this crushing rock that was not formed of any human hand. This is Christ. This is the kingdom of God that comes in And listen to what happens with it as we move forward. So turn to understanding the plan. Number one, we had to have a forming of a plan. God formed this plan. He brought Nebuchadnezzar into it with a dream. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you thought you had it all figured out. Come on board with my plan. I'm going to show it to you. So he forms this plan to get the attention of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we have to understand the plan, don't we? Here we are. Verse uh, 31. We're going to be 31 through 45. Daniel says this before Nebuchadnezzar. He says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Isn't this fascinating? Stop for a second. What does Daniel say 
about the glory of Nebuchadnezzar. He recognizes Nebuchadnezzar's power. He says, you have power over everything, king. You have power and dominion over every man, every child, every woman, every beast. You have power over it all. Giving him all glory, right? That's what Nebuchadnezzar used to say. What Daniel actually says is, God gave you that power. How often would we say about cruel, dictator, brutal leaders of the world? Remember what, what Nebuchadnezzar did, right? He marched into Judah and killed a whole lot of God's people. Men, women, and children. It is stated in their history, in Babylonian history, and I've seen the, the scrolls and I've seen the, the cuneiform tabs. I don't understand it, sorry. It's just like that, dot, dot, dot. It's like the worst Morse code you ever saw. But the interpretation of what we see and the incredible gates um, in Nimrod, what was called the Ishtar gates and some other gates. I told you last week how these dictators used to deal with anybody who spoke against the kingdom, right? Even if they got a hint of it. He took the captain of his guard, dropped him into the gate with his whole battalion and poured molten bronze and sealed them into the gate as a welcome sign for all visitors to his power. So God is speaking through Daniel before him. He's shaken. He's really shaken. This symbol of strength of the greatest civilization at that time is completely shaken. And Daniel stands before him with the answer. We need to understand the plan. What about you? Have you been shaken? Initially, rather than the haircut story, I was going to give you this story about the Northridge earthquake that, uh, that my wife and I barely lived through. Um, we were on the outskirts. We were in Santa Clarita, but a lot of damage was done where we were. And, and so once we kind of escaped, we were calling people, finding out. We had a good friend that was an executive of a very large corporation in Hollywood. And he was a 42, 43-year-old man that uh, lived by himself. And so we would want to just call and check up on him and see how he was doing because his apartment was up where the fault line was. And, and I think 90% of those apartments were red-tagged and, and, and had to be completely redone. So we called him and we got him on the phone. We said, Steve, are you okay? And over the phone, we said, I've lost everything. I've lost everything. Now, you had the same reaction First Service did. You know, talking about an earthquake. It's brutal. It's like some horrible things happen. And here's this highly intelligent executive of a big corporation saying, I've lost everything. We'll be right over, Steve. Don't move. We drive over. We navigate all the cracks in the road and the fires and the dogs and cats screaming. And and, and we get to his apartment. We knock on the door and he opens the door. And his room looks like a showcase apartment. Like, Steve, what? You said you've lost it. He goes, would you look at my coffee table? One leg from the coffee table fell off and it was leaning. And that was the extent of his destruction. He was rendered hopeless because his coffee table fell apart. We're like, are you kidding? We had to go across over to his neighbor where everything had fallen to pieces. 
But for Steve, it was like, my whole life has fallen apart. I don't know what to do. Nebuchadnezzar was shaken. I don't know what it is for you that shakes you. But if we're not paying attention to God, sometimes He has to shake us. Do you get that? The mightiest hand in all of earthly civilization was at a standstill. And he was shaken. And he had to understand this plan. So Daniel reveals it to him. And what we find out is that God gave him that power. God gave him that dominion. And Daniel introduces that idea. And then he goes on and he gives the interpretation. He says, Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation clear. Now what's fascinating for you and I is that we can look at history here and we can learn from it. Right? You put... Uh, you put... 87 octane gas in your Mustang. And you're driving down the road and it just ha- doesn't have the kick it's supposed to. As a matter of fact, it makes these weird noises like something's falling apart inside the engine. Do you go back and put 87 octane in it again? No. You're like... You ask somebody, why is my car acting this way? Well, what kind of gas are you using? I'm using 87. Well, history would dictate that you're an idiot. No, I don't know if they're going to say that or not. History would dictate that you're putting the wrong kind of gas in there. Put high octane gas in there. You put it in and your car is running great and it's smooth. End of story. You're saying, Pastor Jeremy, that's a great story about Mustangs and gas. What's, What's that got to do with anything? How many of you are going to go put 87 octane back in it? Probably none of us, right? Folks, that's, just, that's what we gather from this story. That's what we gather from history because we're involved in this story. Let me break it down for you. The futility of each earthly kingdom. Number one, you've got to start with Babylon. That's his kingdom. That's Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. How many of you, somebody comes along, your boss comes along and says, Hey, um, like you're a really good worker... But I found someone cheaper. They're not as good as you. They're actually inferior to you. But I'm going to give them your job. Right on. Do it, man. As a matter of fact, let me take you out to dinner tonight. Great decision. Anybody up for that? 
you realize that's exactly what happens in this story? By the guy who just said, I'll rip you limb from limb. Not exactly the best. He's not going to get a mug that says best boss. Nebuchadnezzar's not getting that one. And yet Daniel tells the truth here. And, and what he tells to Nebuchadnezzar is, not only is your kingdom going down, king, an inferior kingdom is going to take you out. It's going to take you out. And you'll see in your notes, if you're, if you're working within your notes, that that happened. 87 octane. Get it? It happened. When did the kingdom fall? 539. Just like Daniel said it would. What's the next one? Breasts of silver, arms, shoulders, breasts of silver. That's Persia. When did that kingdom fall apart? When did the futility of that kingdom hit? 331 BC. Done. Gone. History. Happened. You buying into the story yet? By the way, Nebuchadnezzar didn't have the history to count on. He just had the interpretation of the dream. And it was enough for him, you'll see in a moment, to value the plan. Thighs of brass. This represented Greece. How long did Greece last? They're still with us today. Well, yes, they're a country, but not the, not the nation, not the, not the greatness of Greece. That ceased in 168 B.C. by the Romans. Well, so what happened to the legs of iron? Rome. They kept going, right? Nope, they stopped 476 A.D. So far, are you seeing any variation off of this dream, off of what God said? Not one iota. So where do you and I come into this dream? Funny you should ask. We're the one that Daniel takes a lot of time to explain. We are the clay and the iron mixed together. And he goes on and on and on. Did you catch that? He goes on and on and on about the clay and the iron. When does our time end? When are we done? At the second coming of Christ. Here's the fascinating thing for you and I. We're not Babylon. We don't have to wait for Persia. We're not Persia. We don't have to wait for Greece. We're not Greece. We don't have to wait for Rome. Where are we in this dream? We're at the end. What's the next event that happens according to this dream? Christ comes back. Do you understand the veracity of what we need to pay attention to? We're it. This is it. By the way, did everything happen in this dream the way that God said it would? Yes. And the stone that they talk about that was formed from no human hand, that's Jesus Christ. And that's His kingdom. And that's, that's our next point. Realize that man's kingdoms are inferior to Christ's plans and His kingdom. That it is Christ, it is God's plan, not our best laid plans, but it is God's plan that is always in effect. It's always going on. It's always happening. And when we get in line with that plan, we value that plan and we stop fighting against it and we benefit from it. How do we know that? I'm evidence of it this morning. As I shared with my barber yesterday, she asked, well, how did you choose to do that? There was a point in time where I I was blessed to tell her because I got on board with God's plan. This was not my plan. Remember? I was going to have some sweet karate moves and packing a lot of heat. And speaking a lot of different gibberish. That was my plan. <laughs> Actually, I, I still do that, right? I still that. 
I'm doing it right now. All right. No, I'm not packing any heat, but I'm speaking a lot of gibberish. Valuing a plan. Let's look and see what happened because of this horrible king. Before we do that, my question to you is, do you understand God's plan for your life? Look, we're all having to deal with making decisions and plans, right? How many of you are currently looking for a better job? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are thinking about, am I going to go to school or am I not going to go to school? Most of those people are over in (laughs) our high school group right now. How many of you are thinking, I wonder who I'll marry, who I'll not marry? How many of you are thinking about, you know, your kids and what you're going to do with your kids? All right, all of that is superfluous to this last one. How many of you have a retirement? Yes. You have been taking money. Now think about the brilliance of this. You've been taking money that you could go to Cheesecake Factory and you could order the... um, the, uh, 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 what is the thing I always get? The uh, Italian chicken thing, Romano. You could order the full, not the half dinner, you could order the full dinner, the Romano chicken at Cheesecake Factory and have a slice of chocolate mousse cheesecake afterwards. And you could sit there, but you don't, do you? You set that money aside in an IMG account or your Smith Barney. And for a better day, that may never come. So who's wise now? <laughs> but think about it. We set this money aside, right? Those are good plans. I'm not speaking against not doing that. Okay, uh, Yes, set that money aside. That makes some sense. But think about it. You're taking money that you need right now and you're setting it aside for the future that may never come. Why do you do that? Because it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Based off of what? You don't know how long your days are on this earth. You do it based off of history. My dad, my dad in his retirement, my goodness, that guy's living the high life. That guy has gone on, I think, 42 cruises in five years. In his retirement. My idea of retirement was like sitting on a park bench and letting papers blow on me. You know, that's what I thought retirement was supposed to be. You know, my dad's got all this. And so he's got this great plan. Yeah, some of you, you're laughing. I can see you like, yeah, that's what I thought retirement was too. Do you understand the plan God has for you? And if you don't, let me just share with you. He will pursue you like Nebuchadnezzar. He pursued me so that I'm here. I would not be here of my own planning. And He is pursuing you. And He will do what it takes to get your attention. That may have happened this morning already. For those who have not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ, He may have done that this morning, right now. See, ultimately this dream says that God's kingdom is the one that will survive. God's kingdom will be the one that thrives. Now, there's something about this that's kind of scary. The king was relieved to know he was going to lose his kingdom. Does that sound like... You're a profiler now, right? Does that sound like this cat? Not to me. Not to me. This is the guy that tears people, just says, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. So what happens? This morning, during first hour... The Spirit really impressed some things on me that I was just rejoicing and thankful over. 
and was worshiping. And, and it was during Holy, Holy, Lord God Almighty. And towards the end of the song, while I was praying and the Spirit was speaking to me, the message came to me about, so, now you know in a deeper way what it means to trust me. Do you know what our next song was? Christ alone, cornerstone. The whole first verse is about trusting Christ. To adopt or adapt to God's plan, the best laid plan, means you have to trust Him. It means that you understand that plan and that you value that plan. And when that happens, when God is involved, it's not us, when God is involved, anything can happen. Even one of the most brutal dictators in the history of mankind can soften his heart towards God. Listen to this. You are going to be amazed. Verse 46. The king of the greatest civilization of that time and the greatest civilization in this dream does this. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar looked upon Daniel and scorned him and ordered his guards to tear him limb from limb and have him placed in the four corners. Is that what your scripture says? But that'd go really well with the story, wouldn't it? If you were positioned like Daniel was, wouldn't you be thinking that would be what happened to you if you told the king, your kingdom's going down, and by the way, an inferior... This is like the slap on the left cheek after you gave him one with the right cheek. By the way, it's going to be some loser country that's going to beat you. Life expectancy, four minutes. But what did God do? Because see, God's plan was already at work. In the background. Daniel just needed to do what God asked him to do. And look at what happened. Verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods. Remember, In order to understand the plan, sometimes God forms that plan to get our attention. Because we're ignoring Him. And He loves you so deeply that He will go to great lengths to impress you. To see Him. Think about your life. What is He doing to get your attention? Because whatever it is, it's for your benefit. It's for your good. And odds against odds, this crackpot, and trust me, as we get into it, you're going to see what a crackpot he was. This crackpot says what? Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. He got his attention. What did Daniel do? Daniel and his friends were given the highest honors in the kingdom. That's uncommon. God's work is uncommon. He says this, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Daniel spoke the truth even when not popular. My friends... You've got to trust in the best laid plan. 
God's plan. We have the sacrifice of truth all over the place because people are afraid of what the truth will do in response by other people. We're convinced that people don't want to hear the truth. We're convinced that the truth is this dangerous thing that will come back on us. But what happened here? Nebuchadnezzar bowed down. Can I just tell you, kings don't bow down to other kings. They definitely don't bow down to the person that they just captured. Do you get it? You see, if this was of Daniel, doesn't work. But God was doing a plan in the background, wasn't He? And Daniel gave credit to God. And Daniel spoke the whole truth. How many of you would do it like I would do it? Right? Put yourself in Daniel's shoes. And I'm sitting here with Daniel's dream interpretation. I'm like, yes, got it, we're saved. The hard part here was getting the dream. So we've got that. But then I get the interpretation of the dream, and I'm looking at it. Little detail problem here. First thing, Nebuchadnezzar, your, your whole thing, gone, done. And by the way, an inferior country is going to beat you up. I'm thinking, okay, he doesn't know that. All I have to do is tell him the dream. I got him. And I could just tell him about those other parts of the statue. And I'll be safe. You see where I'm going, right? Would that be your choice? Would that be my choice? It wasn't Daniel's. Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar and he said a very hard truth. Because it was the truth. And what happened? There was a value placed upon the truth. Nebuchadnezzar valued the plan that God had in place, even though it meant his own destruction. We don't buy into that plan. Not today. But what happens to our kingdom? Our kingdom doesn't survive either because the futility of our own thinking, the futility of our plan. Can I just encourage you? There's no other job I would ever want to do than what I do now. Not even being Jason Bourne. Sounds good, but I don't need to do that. Because I'm fully satisfied with God's plan. Fully satisfied with God's plan. I value God's plan. That's His plan. That's my retirement plan. Right there. How about you? Let me close this morning just by encouraging you. Make sure that you're in His plan and that you value His plan. He has a plan for you. And it's that gospel message. Think about the futility of what's going on around us. You know, a few years ago, I would have told you that the United States is just going to go and go and go and it's going to be strong. If I were to suggest to you that the United States may not exist as the United States much longer, I think based off of recent events, not that many would think I'm that nuts at this point. This dream, this vision is prophecy. It's apocalyptic in nature. And just remember, every single part of it has happened exactly like God said it would. 
And now we're seeing the last part. And it's happening. Just like God said it would. But His, His kingdom goes forever and ever. Amen. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank You for the beauty of this message and the strength of this message. I pray that each of us today would, would gather our thoughts and think about how You're trying to grab our attention and that we would pursue that and we would understand Your plan and that we would value it. That holding on to the truth of the matter is the most important thing rather than our own plans that we want to see succeed. Thank You, Lord, for the wisdom of all this. Let it apply in our lives to Your glory. Amen.